Hello everyone, welcome to the first full-length episode of Basecamp, a climbing magazine podcast where we bring you exclusive interviews with a wide range of personalities from our sport. I'm your host, Kevin Riley. Our first interview is with Heather Widener, who is most notably known for her first female ascent of China Doll, a 514A trad route in Upper Dream Canyon, Colorado. Recently, she teamed up with Climbing Magazine and Arno Ilgner of Rock Warriors Way to produce The Art of Red Pointing, an online class that will be released on August 6th on climbing.com. We talked about why red pointing is important, who would benefit from the class, and Heather reveals a few of her own personal tips. Then we have an interview with young climbing phenom and climbing media up-and-comer Matty Hong. He was the fourth American to climb 515B when he climbed Fight or Flight in Oleana, Spain. He also had his film Break On Through, about Margot Hayes' Ascent of La Rambla, featured in the hugely popular Real Rock film tour. When we sat down, we talked about growing up with prolific climbing parents, what climbing 515B means to him, how he balances being a climber and photographer and videographer, and how he sees his professional climbing career evolving over time. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by The Access Fund, a not-for-profit rock climbing advocacy group whose mission is simple, to keep climbing areas open and to promote an ethic of responsible climbing and conservation of the climbing environment. Recently, I got to go climbing with Brady Robinson, outgoing executive director of the organization, and ask him what he's most proud of of accomplishing over the 11 years at the Access Fund. When I started, we only had about three people who were really focused on the actual work of climbing access. We have 15 now. And so, you know, our budget has nearly tripled in size, but I would say our effectiveness has increased much more so. And so not only do we have more people out in the world working on conservation, stewardship, and access, but we've got them all around the country. A number of years ago, I was staring at the wall in my office in Boulder, Colorado, and I asked myself, if I asked the community, okay, we're gonna hire somebody else. Should we jam one more person in Boulder, Colorado, or should we put them somewhere else out in the world? What do you think most climbers would say? <laughs> yeah, not in Boulder. Not in Boulder. Out we, of the our, bubble. That's right. Our kind of reputation was being a little Boulder-centric. Sure. And so now we've got staff scattered all over the country, southeast, northeast, California, uh, Pacific Northwest. One guy lives in his van, Arizona, Texas. You know, our footprint and our relevancy has increased hugely. And just like politics, almost all access issues are local. And if you've got someone on the ground who knows the players, who knows the volunteers, you can get a lot more done. Yeah. I'm incredibly proud of that. And we've just created a, a really professional and fun group of people. And it makes it a pleasure to come to work every day. See how you can get involved at accessfund.org. <laughs> yep. Hey, Heather, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. How's your summer going? Man, it's been awesome. I've actually been trying to get at elevation. I was at Wizard's Gate near Estes Park uh-huh. um, yesterday because I'm going to Peru to go sport climbing with a couple girlfriends um, in a week. Oh, sweet. Who are you going with? I'm going with my friend Elizabeth and my Peruvian friend Sandra, who I've both known um, from climbing around the Vegas area when I used to live there. So cool. it'll how, be sweet. How long are you going to be there for? Two weeks. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. but it's, it's crazy because the sport climbing is at um, 13,500 feet. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> so that'll be different for me. I don't tend to get up at altitude very much it's uh-huh. like, yeah just... well it's a good time of the year it's been so hot here in boulder and pretty much across the country yeah it's been great and um chris 
you know, took me up to Hallett Peak and we did a uh-huh. cool route up there. And yeah, it's awesome. been nice to do some different stuff, you know? Yeah, I think I saw an Instagram photo of him. You guys were on like some 5.6 We were on um, this 5.8 called the Northcut Carter, which is interesting because it's one of the 50 classic North American routes. Uh-huh. But um, interestingly, in 1999, the first two pitches fell off. So we kind of, you have to kind of contrive it now. We come in from the climbers, right? But yeah, it was adventurous. It was like a cool historic route, you know, put up in the 50s. Yeah, it was a great time. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to talk to you about this project you're working on with Climbing Magazine. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, so it's pretty neat. I have this um, online course coming out that I'm co-instructing with Arno Ilgner of the Rock Warriors Way, and it's called The Art of Red Pointing. Mm -hmm. And um, it's all online. It comes out August 6th. Okay. And basically, it goes through everything you need to know how to red point your best. So how are you going to get through your project? And um, I've personally worked with Arno now for the past year and a half because I was dealing with some kind of mental issues around projecting, particularly after red pointing China Doll, this 514 in Dream Canyon Uh here in Boulder. I kind of went into this like post-depressive red pointing slump and I just ran into Arno at OR two years ago and he's you know was like hey I'd love to pick your brain of how you project these tough routes and in return like give you some mental training so it's cool I've actually you know experienced the mental training myself with Arno and um, now working together putting together this course it's like we're gonna give you all of the tips and tricks of the trade. Now, is this for everybody or is this just people who are climbing 514 trad? Yeah, I hard think, stuff? honestly, I think it's for most everyone. I uh-huh. would say it's not for the super duper beginner. Um, sure. We also have an intro to sport climbing course that would be better for them. But oh, okay. this is more for the climber that, you know, maybe they've kind of hit a little bit of a plateau and they're wondering, how do I break through to the next level? Or maybe it's just like, the climber that's, you know, been climbing a little while and they want to improve their skills, both mentally and physically. You know, Mm -hmm. we have some training tips on there and mental tips that will help with basically all types of climbers and all types of climbing from bouldering to trad climbing Uh from the beginning end to, to upper end. As far as like red pointing, do you think that's important for most climbers to get better? I remember... Uh, seeing Chris Sharma talking on some video and he was like you just need to get out there and climb but whenever I just get out there and climb I don't get better I'm like on this like constant plateau so do you think something like this would help me out you know someone struggling to improve yeah absolutely and you know I was in the same boat years ago I used to just go out and climb you know just for quote-unquote fun Mm -hmm. and um you know, I wouldn't really, I didn't see the value in red pointing. Like mm-hmm. I just went climbing, Yeah. but it's so cool because red pointing allows you to get so much more involved in the sport. And I think it's so fun because you learn all of the intricacies and you become like, you have this intimate relationship with your climb versus just going climbing. And, um, yeah, certainly I think involving these, these tips that we have in the course can help you kind of break through into that next level. And not only will it help you become a more competent climber, but also it will just in general, like help you become more peaceful with yourself. 
Interesting. Yeah, I think, honestly, when I go out climbing, like at Rifle, and where everyone has a project, the most common thing I see is, you know, people getting getting really frustrated. Sure, I see that all the time. A lot of screaming going on at Rifle. A lot of cursing on the cliff. They're falling at the same (laughs) move, you know, over and over again. And we have this section of the course, it's called Succeeding with Failure. And it talks about the seven different ways that that are most common, I guess, for people Mm -hmm. to fail on their project. And it'll kind of go through not only like why we do that, but then some tips and and some actual concrete things of what you can do to to break through. Mm -hmm. And is training a big part of the class? You know, it is, but I think what the bigger um, uh, kind of focus is, is on the mental aspect. Because if you go online or, you know, you go into a gym, you have every, um, you know, fingerboarding and campusing routine at your fingertips. But what I think our sport is really lacking is the um, mental training. Sure. Yeah. And what I've noticed too, a lot with the Rock Warriors way is a lot of the stuff you can work on is actually off of the rock. Absolutely. It's not during the climbing. It's the things that you're doing, you know, when you're at home doing goal setting and trying to figure out exactly what you want and what you're comfortable with. Definitely. And one of the biggest thing that's really helped me working with the Warriors way is getting into in tune with my motivation and why I'm actually climbing. And sure, you know, we all set goals and we want to send hard. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I guess just realizing that's okay, but we can't know when we're going to achieve that goal. Mm -hmm. And so coming back to our motivation and saying, are we doing this just for the achievement? You know, is that all we want? Or is it more like you want to learn? And so for me, it's all about now like curiosity, like, and that helps, you know, helps me red point better uh-huh. because I'm like, why did I fall? Not yeah. just like I fell and I'm so frustrated and I'm never <laughs> going to do this. <laughs> and when that does happen, when you do get super frustrated, what do you end up kind of doing to remove yourself from that negative energy? Yeah, that's a great question because it still comes up, right? You yeah. Know, of course, I get frustrated just like the other person, but I think what I've learned over the past couple years is I'm able to recognize it. That's the first thing is having this awareness like, ooh, I'm getting frustrated. And then take a moment, you know, be able to kind of take a deep breath, you know, let Uh it out and then shift your um, attention back to the task at hand. So Mm -hmm. instead of letting yourself go into this, what I call like a, and Arno calls a power sink where you're allowing these um, thoughts to just go into a deeper level of frustration, instead shifting that into okay, why did I fall? Like maybe I can change my foot here or maybe I can shift my hips so that, you know, I'm going to be closer to the wall or whatever Uh it is that you're working on. Great. And final question. So you guys shot this over at Staunton State Park here in Colorado. And you mentioned you shot it with Arno and yourself Mm -hmm. and I believe Matt Samet was there. Yes. Were there any uh, fun antics going on during the shooting? <laughs> we had so much fun. That crew is amazing. We had uh-huh. a crew of about oh, a, do- a half a dozen people, and uh-huh. it was just great. Like it was, it, you know, long days of filming and whatnot, but it was fun getting out. Um, I got out with Matt and Kevin and. Uh, and Arno and we stayed late and we mm-hmm. um, we all went climbing and it was so much fun. You know, we're tired, it's at altitude, but we had a blast and um, uh, Sam and I had a send train, so that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, make sure you guys check it out. It's The Art of Red Pointing coming out on August 6th with Heather Widener. 
and the crew. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. All right, there's our conversation with Heather Widener. And again, you can check out The Art of Red Pointing starting on August 6th at climbing.com. And our next interview with Maddie Hong. It was a good one. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So I'm just going to get right to it. Here you go, Maddie Hong. So you're just back from Spain after climbing fight or flight 515B. How does it feel to be home? It feels great to be home. It always feels good to return back to Colorado after a long trip. Um, two months abroad is is kind of where I draw the line and where I start to I start to want to reset and come back, start training, get back in the normal routine of things, and and then think about the next project. Yeah. And do you go to Spain a lot, or was this your first trip, or you've been there a bunch of times? This was my third year in a row going to Spain. Okay. So. I went first in 2016 and went for three months, did the whole three-month visa, and then got hooked and just kind of got a taste of everything that there is over there. And then I've been going every every year since. Maybe next year I'll take a year off just because I got this big goal accomplished and there's so many uh-huh. other places I want to go. So maybe next year go somewhere else. But Yeah, what are you thinking? Do you have anything? I don't know. I mean, there's so much. There's... There's a lot on the on the list right now, so we'll see. So you grew up in a climbing family. Your dad, Steve Hong, very accomplished climber, still continuing to put up hard routes out in rifle. Um, your mom climbed quite a bit. And what was it like growing up in a climbing family, and how were you introduced to climbing? I, I'm pretty lucky to have parents that are climbers, and growing up in a family with climbers was was great because I got to be exposed to to a lot of different climbing areas at a young age. I didn't just I wasn't just confined to the to a climbing gym. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually able to go on trips with my parents and and before I even started climbing I would just go with them and play around in the dirt, swing on the ropes. You know, I kinda I got I got kind of sucked into that lifestyle pretty early on, which mm-hmm. I'm grateful for. Um, and now now my dad is still climbing. My mom has kind of slowed down climbing, but she still is really uh, outgoing and athletic. She rides her bike a lot, so that that's inspiring to me in a different way. You know, mm-hmm. like she's still going going hard and getting after it, going on trips to go biking now. But they've they've been probably the biggest influence in my climbing. I would say with no doubt, just because of all they've allowed for me to grow as a climber. They've Mm -hmm. really helped me, whether that's going on trips or just like supporting me going to competitions or or whatever. Like they've been a a huge uh, influence in my climbing. And beyond just the logistics, Mm. what else do you think you've really learned, like certain traits from your mother and father? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, a lot of what I've learned is like the mentality and kind of ethics for my climbing. Um, my parents both kind of grew up before climbing was a thing and they were establishing first ascents trad routes and, and there wasn't really a standard set for climbing or for what a climber even looks like. So they kind of just, they didn't do it for, they did it for different reasons, I think, than a lot of people get into climbing now. And that's more just to be outside, to push themselves in different ways and just to like, because they were passionate and enjoyed the sport. And they've, I think that's something that I've kind of, 
taken from them as as a token that you know maybe not a lot of people get to see just like the essence of why people climb Mm -hmm. um, rather than maybe the materialistic side or not just like the the goal-driven side like they've always kept me humble is what Mm -hmm. i'm trying to say and just like to enjoy the sport and if i'm not having fun maybe take a step back and kind of reconsider what what i'm doing Mm -hmm. and when you were first introduced to climbing which sounds like it was quite early did it take right away were you into it you know i i don't think i was i when i was younger i did a lot of different activities with school and like outside of school. I played soccer growing up. Uh-huh. I, I played tennis and I I was swimming for a little bit. Um, and I think they never they never prioritized climbing for me over mm-hmm. o- over other sports. I think I kind of made that decision my own when I was around thirteen to fifteen. I kind of like transitioned to. To, okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be a climber. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do all these other sports anymore. I just want to focus on climbing. So, and why was that? Um, I think it was a lot of. Well, the the other sport that I was kind of going in the direction of was playing soccer. I played for eight or nine years growing up, and a lot of my friends kept doing that throughout high school. But I think what drew me away from that was the competitiveness of it, and just. It was all just like practice, practice, practice. And then I don't know, it it didn't, it wasn't as rewarding for me as Mm -hmm. like going out climbing and maybe sending something or just having a good day climbing. Like that's, that's still to me a greater feeling than it was when I was younger, at least Mm -hmm. like playing, winning a game with a team or something. I don't know. It just eventually it, it, it drew me in more. I sure. Guess. Yeah, I don't know all the factors of it, but and it sounds like you weren't real competitive when you were younger with climbing, and, and maybe still not that competitive. Um, Is that I true mean, or? I think I'm I'm definitely competitive. Like I I would say, any athlete that's trying to like climb their hardest thing, or just like even if it's I don't know, I take I take sports very seriously. Like mm-hmm. I don't follow sports all the time, and like I'm not watching the comp circuits like I'm not competitive in that sense but I definitely push myself as hard as I can uh whenever I can and I I find inspiration from other people around me that are maybe they're climbing harder than me or maybe you know they're just training harder than me but Mm -hmm. like I definitely get get a drive from that from the people around me so I'm competitive for sure but I'm not competitive in a way where it kind of like creates a different feeling around what I'm doing you know Uh like I'm not it's not going to put me in a bad mood or something it's just gonna it's either gonna fuel me and fire me up or or I'm not gonna really care Uh about it yeah and you have a brother Alex is that correct yeah I have a older brother who lives in California okay and he used to climb but doesn't climb anymore right he started around the same age as I did and he kind of took a different path when he was getting into high school so maybe around like 14 or 15 Mm -hmm. and that's we were competitive together for sure yeah Um, I was wondering that might that might have been part of the reason why he took a different route um, Uh because we were constantly we were around like at climbing at the same level you know it's like give or take he'd have a good day or I'd have a good day but it was pretty like butting heads a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe that was a reason why he took a different route. I think 
he he had issues with heights, which is kind of a problem in climbing, and and maybe he didn't want to really try to get over those because he wanted to do something else. Mm-hmm. But. So I'm interested in why you put up new routes. I, you mentioned that your dad has put up lots of new routes and, you know, rifle and Indian Creek. Um, it's kind of unusual for someone your age to be putting up new routes, especially like a pro climber your age. There's not a lot of people like you. Why do you think you are putting up new routes and, and why do you enjoy it? Um, well, I definitely want to put up more routes and I haven't, I've only put up a handful and I, I feel like I still have a lot to learn in that realm. Uh-huh. Um, and that's one thing that I definitely want to focus on this year is, is developing more of my own climbs. But I think maybe it seems unusual, but like my dad has been so, uh, so persistent in the developing climbing world that like, it's kind of been, it's almost expected of me to, to kind of like carry that torch in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's been bolting for 20 plus years, you know, and it's so, it's just, he's, he's a great teacher and he could, he, he has the tools for me to learn. So I think it was definitely more accessible for me as a young climber, you mm-hmm. know, than it is for most people. Like it's hard to get out and go learn how to bolt something by yourself. And especially if you don't have a drill or bolts or, sure. or proper equipment, um, it's a much more challenging. So I think just him doing it was just a door for me to kind of step into and, and was, you know, it's something that, that I've learned is a really rewarding feeling. And it's, it's a different process than it is to just go climb and uh, climb a project or something like going and bolting it can be almost, can be harder than actually climbing it. So you kind of get to see a different aspect of the sport, which I've learned to, to really enjoy. Yeah. You definitely have learned a lot from your parents. Do you think you also got a genetic advantage from your parents as a climber? <laughs> um, or do you, you know, think you've I, had to work people, just as hard as everyone else? I mean, whether or not it's genetic or I don't know, I think just being around them has kind of given me an advantage because they're both very self-motivated people and they're constantly, they constantly like to be doing something, whether it's, you know, just anything. They're, they're like very active. So I think that that has kind of worn off on me. Like if I were, were just sitting around and maybe not using my time the best, like they would, they would kind of push me a little harder to get off the couch or something like that. So I think whether or not it's genetic, they just, their mentality is, has kind of worn off on me in that sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I want to talk about fight or flight. <laughs> All right. So why that climb? So Oleana is kind of like the center for, for the hard sport climbing mm-hmm. in the world, I would say. It's one of the most concentrated walls in the entire world for hard climbing. It has, you know, a dozen 515s just right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went there in 2016 and I climbed my first 515A, uh, Papi Chulo. And that kind of opened the doors for me to just like what maybe I, I was capable of and, and, oh, maybe I should try more 515s. Like this is something that I can do. So... I came back in 2017 and I did two 515s and I had a little bit of time left in my trip and I was satisfied with how I'd climbed last year and and I figured I should get on something hard and maybe size it up for another return visit. And Fight or Flight has always been kind of like this crown jewel of Oleana. It's 
a really aesthetic line. It has really good movement and it's notoriously difficult. Um, it doesn't have a lot of a sense. And yeah, from watching it, can you tell me about the two different cruxes? Cause it seems like it's made up of like a lower crux with like a left hand bump. Yeah. And then it's got that obviously like that upper mm-hmm. dynamic move. Yeah. So the root is pretty short. It's pretty compact. Um, it's mainly broken down into like, I would say three boulder problems. Okay. And it's it's short for Oleana standards. Sure. It's still probably like 30 to 35 meters long, but everything at Oleana is like 40 meters. So it seems short. And since it's so bouldery, you climb it fast. So mm-hmm. you're not on the wall for very long, which is another thing that I liked about the route. So it, the route starts with... Um, you climb a slab and you can kind of stand at the at the end of the slab and in the no hands and and kind of get ready psych yourself up for what is to come pretty intense climbing mm-hmm. um, and you do a long opening boulder problem that's not super difficult but it's resistant and you can't chalk up or anything i'd say it's maybe v11 and then you get to a quick position where you can clip and then you immediately enter what is the crux of the root. And this is maybe a, a hard V11 or V12 boulder problem that revolves around a super dynamic low percentage bump with the left hand. And I fell on this move countless times. Like, I don't know how many times I would get there feeling okay and then just be a little too tired or not have the, the accuracy I needed to stick that move. So there's a lot of things that came into factor for that crux. And when I tried it last year, I never made it through that crux. I only tried the route for like two weeks, but I still, I couldn't get through that crux. So this trip around, I kind of trained for that route and I knew what to expect. So any specific training? Um, yeah, I knew that it was a really resistant route. So I knew that I had to do like hard boulders, but not like really intense single moves, but more just like consistent power endurance climbing so Mm -hmm. i would do circuits on v11 v10 boulder problems just to prepare myself for like to climb confidently on like a lot of hard moves in a row yeah Um, but there wasn't any specific i i did try and set that boulder problem in the gym the crux but it's never quite the same and it's more just like fun to do that than anything (laughs) else like i don't know how beneficial that is but uh I try. I tried to train as much as I could. Like I knew that this route was going to be my goal of the trip, and I didn't really have any other focus going over there. So I wanted to train specifically for this, and then try and do this. And that yeah. was that was the goal. And normally, I've kind of gone with loose goals on trips. You know, like oh, I want to try this route, or there's a couple things that I have my eyes on. But like this was something that I was really. It was kind of the first time that I really focused on climbing a, a single route like that. Um, mm-hmm. So do you, should I keep telling you yeah, about the yeah, route? Yeah, <laughs> I would love to hear more about the route. Um, Sorry. No worries. I'm just uh, real interested. I have yeah. a bunch of questions. You do the second crux and then you get this bad rest on two crimps. And this is like the only place where you can stop and, and chalk up on the whole route. You can't even uh, really drop your hands and shake anywhere else on the route. So uh-huh. this it's... It's cool because you climb really intense for like seven or eight bolts and then you stop and you chill on two little crimps and then it's just like power to the top from there. So I like how it's broken down into two big sections. Mm -hmm. Um, And from this rest, 
you probably climb an 8C route, a 14B to the top, but I would also break it down as maybe a long V11 with mm-hmm. with a all points off, or not all points, but a, a full dyno at the end to the biggest jug you could ever imagine sure. on on maybe the best hold on the entire wall but it's this pretty crazy dynamic move that finishes the route and it's it's pretty perfect it's it would be hard to set a route that's like as good as that one <laughs> how many times do you think you got on that route before sending it oh i i probably tried the route like red point tries i probably tried it 25 times about like red points where i thought okay maybe i can try and send the route this time maybe 20 to 25 times like it was a lot it was two weeks of trying the route in 2017 but not necessarily giving red point tries it was more just figuring out the moves and and setting it up for this year and then Mm -hmm. this year it was roughly six weeks of trying the route give or take like some bad weather and and rest days like it's not six weeks straight but it was a lot of tries like it Mm -hmm. was it was the goal of the trip. So it was, I didn't really climb on other stuff until I had sent that route. And so every day I was at the cliff, I was either trying that route or I was resting and, and shooting photos or doing something else. But yeah. that was the singular focus. So after the send, I saw a photo of you drinking a <laughs> celebratory drink out of your climbing <laughs> yeah. shoe. Yeah. Uh, where did you get that idea? Have you seen someone do that before? No, or? you know, that was a friend of my, Felipe this Brazilian climber, he's really into pretty much all sports. And he, he was saying that a lot of car racers, I don't know if it's motocross or NASCAR or whatever, but uh-huh. they drink champagne out of their shoe. Oh, really? So it was kind of like this joke. <laughs> it was this joke that he made where he was like, if you sent, cause he actually brought a bottle of champagne up to the, to the route, like weeks before I climbed it. So we kind of joked about maybe one day I'll drink it. Maybe not. Maybe we should open it now or whatever. But it was his idea to drink out of the shoe. Um, and he kind of joked. He was like, if you send, you got to drink out of the shoe. And I was just like, if I send, you know, I'll do whatever. Like, <laughs> I'll be so psyched. I'll, I'll drink out of a shoe, no problem. So that was kind of the the joke. And then as soon as I sent, he he ripped it off my foot and like poured champagne into it. How'd that so, taste? You know, it was... it was <laughs> Earthy? Yeah, it was kind of on cloud nine at that point. So yeah. I didn't really get it. Yeah. So I read an interview you did with Chris Widener a while ago for the Daily Camera, just saying that, well, you said that, you know, your dad has left a mark in the climbing world and you wanted to do the same. Do you think this route, you know, climbing fight or flight is that mark you were looking for? Is there still a lot more out there for you? Um, There's definitely still a lot more out there for me. I think my dad and I have definitely left different marks his mark is definitely more obvious you know it's like he's put up so many first ascents he has his name like behind all these roots I've kind of done it more as like established myself as as maybe a a strong climber you know mm-hmm. and maybe I'm I've made my my mark and and but it's more temporary you know like I, I definitely want to want to go put up my own first ascents and I think that's what I meant when I was talking to Chris Widener was my dad's left his mark as he's left behind these tokens for people to to kind of pick up and, and experience. And yeah. that's what I would like to do in the sense of leaving my mark. Like, I definitely want to inspire people. And if what I'm doing is leaving my mark in that sense, then that's mm-hmm. great. But I want to 
have like the physical here, here are the roots that I, that I put up for other people or, you know, like I want that, that kind of a, of mark <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so there's been a wave of americans sending 515b recently it seems yeah. like Shout why out do you to jonathan segris who just did jumbo love yeah it's incredible why do you think that's happening now um i think it's just the progression in climbing i think that this is going to be the norm like 515a has seen more and more ascents in the past four or five years than ever and and now that's not as big of a surprise when people climb 515A. And that's like 10 years ago, there were only a couple people. Sure. You know? It's like, it's changing. Our sport is changing pretty fast and people are just getting better and better. And I think also that, that there's more people climbing 515s that more people are going to start trying them. You know, they're going to be like a little more inspired to get on these hard routes and like, if they hear a story about someone working a route for months or years, they're going to be like, oh, you know, I could try something that's going to take me that much time. Or or maybe I'm not, you know, I think that that's kind of been little inspiration for people to try hard routes. And then people are getting surprised like, oh, I'm actually, I can do these, you know, if I put in the time. Um, mm-hmm. But I, it's the progression of our sport, I think. Sure. Yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit, talk about your photography and videography a little bit. You mentioned while you were in Spain, you were also taking photos. Were you doing video there as well? Yeah, I did. Um, I did shoot a lot of film over there, and I'm still in the process of editing. We're doing a. Maybe you guys have seen it. It's a. It's called Perspective. It's a episodic thing for Petzl that's mm-hmm. getting released. There's still two more episodes that are to come out, and then a film kind of tying them all together, and it's. A bunch of individual films about different athletes um so i was shooting that over in spain and also just shooting a bunch of photos as much as i could how do you balance the the photography and the climbing because they both take so much energy yeah and so much dedication yeah it's hard and it's definitely it's getting harder and harder now that i'm kind of getting more more into these bigger film projects it's uh-huh. becoming like a bigger task and more work but it's not easy like balancing i think a lot of it is when i'm when i'm climbing like a route like fight or flight and i need to save every ounce of energy for a chance of sending mm-hmm. like it's hard for me to balance sometimes even carrying up like my big camera to shoot video yeah you know because it's heavy you know like sometimes i'm just like i just want to leave this behind so i can save energy and maybe today send and then and then also jugging ropes and shooting can be tricky just because jugging lines is super tiring and especially when you're trying things that are at your limit like but i think the way i've kind of come to balance it is that i don't know it's hard to hard to explain what goes on in my head when I'm like, okay, it's okay to jug that rope this time. Like, I think a lot of reward that I get comes from like getting a good shot, whether it's like a real emotion or like a photo that I'm happy with. Like Uh I I get super happy when I, when I kind of nail a shot or yeah, it's a rewarding feeling that, you know, maybe if I just had gotten up my project and like one hung it or something like, Uh the reward that I'm getting from climbing and, and photography or, or video is kind mm-hmm. of balancing out in some sense. I'm still a climber first. Sure. But uh, like if I miss a shot, I, I beat myself up. Or like yeah. if I don't jug a line and someone sends the route and has a great reaction or something and I miss that, like 
that's a super <laughs> i get super down like uh-huh. I'm, I'm just like oh why didn't you jug the roof like you were lazy or something like that yeah so. it seems like you really like capturing those rare moments before and after the climb of climbers you're really good at that yeah thanks i think i mean that's the best part of climbing photography for me like there's definitely the spectacular shots where it's just like landscapes and composition is great the lighting's great like mm-hmm. that has like a certain appeal to it sure but i think like there's so much emotion bottled up in climbers just stress and anxiety and then also just like excitement and nerves and stuff like that mm-hmm. that it's easy to capture those if you're if you're on point and you're kind of just like waiting and you know those moments are coming like if if i ever see someone send a route that i know they've been working on or i i think they're going to have a a genuine reaction like of mm-hmm. happiness or something then i'll try to be ready for that i feel like we should talk about the margot hayes photo sure. that you had. it's a beautiful <laughs> yeah, photo yeah. Thank you. it feels like the whole experience was just real just real emotional yeah um i mean that was I think that kind of opened the door also for what, uh, for like the other side of climbing photography for me, like before maybe I didn't see those, those small little reactions or those emotions as, as I do now. Like, I think I've definitely kind of become more aware to like how people feel about climbing um, Mm -hmm. after that moment. But yeah, taking that photo it was a special moment for sure. Like I, I I was belaying her and she got to the anchor and she was like yelling down to me to lower her. But I was like, I wasn't lowering her. I was like rifling through my camera bag, like <laughs> putting on the right lens and like making sure that I was going to be ready for when she gets down. And, and then I, I only took like, I think there's only three photos of that one shot that you yeah. see that like the one shot that kind of went viral. I think I only took a couple photos and then like some before and after of that moment, but it was just like, take the quick photo and then kind of be in the moment with her and with everyone else. And it was, it was definitely a special time. Mm -hmm. Um, So where do you plan on taking your photography and videography professionally? And where do you see you kind of taking your career as a climber and photographer and artist? Yeah, um, I think it's hard to say, but I think like, I mean, there's definitely more room for me to grow as a videographer or a photographer. Like I have, I have so much to learn on that realm and I feel maybe professionally too, like my, my career might end up going in that direction when I'm older, when I'm not. Mm-hmm. wanting to go to Spain for two months and climb one route, you know, like I don't think I'm going to want to do that forever because sure. it's, it's just exhausting. And it's more, I like, I love making films and taking photos because I like to share them with people. And I like to like take these moments and kind of just like give people a taste of them. And that's, yeah. that's like a, it feels good when they're well received or just, you know, I don't know. I feel, I feel like, climbing films in general have a have a lot to to grow a lot of room to grow so i hope to you know kind of bring a new perspective if that's from a climber's point of view Mm -hmm. or whatever that is um yeah it seems like you have a kind of a more artistic style to your videography at least you know i was watching one of your videos and i was like this looks like if boone speed made a video (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) it was one of the black and white ones obviously but yeah (laughs) i think that's also because i don't 
I'm still learning how to edit and I'm still yeah. learning like how to tell a story. So yeah. a lot of times I just kind of fall back on like, oh, this is a pretty shot. Let's like mm -hmm. bring up the music a little bit and like let it play out. But definitely with the film that I just did of Margot, I oh. learned a lot. And that was kind of like a big turning point in my filmmaking career. Just mm -hmm. the fact that I went from making these little climbing videos for YouTube or for sponsors for, you know, not just like small budgets to kind of getting dumped this big real rock piece. Yeah. Um, and that was like a, a really aggressive learning curve. But at the same time, it was like, it was the coolest experience I've had. Did it feel um, stressful at the time? Um, yeah. I mean, for sure, there was a lot of pressure and just it was a lot of it was very new to me, like making uh -huh. a film that was going to be played in festivals or being toured around or, you know, like there's a lot of different turning parts that kind of come together there. But yeah, it was stressful. We, we definitely worked on the film until the last day. But with, you know, I, I worked with Pete Mortimer and Nick Rosen, Zach Barr, and a little bit with Josh Lowell and Brett Lowell. And those guys have, you know, they've been killing it for years. And, yeah, there's and no one better to learn from. No, yeah, it was it was incredible to, to just sit next to them at the computer and mm -hmm. just kind of watch how they approach things or, or, you know, whether it was me turning in an edit for them to review and then th them just tearing it apart and just basically <laughs> saying, this is great, but why don't you start over and try again? You know, like that was uh, monumental for my videography. Yeah, yeah, and it almost seems like you need somebody to do that for you. Because you're not going to just throw out your own work on your own. Yeah. Or it's going to take a lot more. Well, I mean, I I was kind of throwing out my own work just because I was making these small little climbing films of sure. my friends. Like, we'd go out and shoot and edit something. But just the scale of the Margot film was, uh -huh. it, you know, like, it's being seen by by thousands and thousands of sure. people. Like, it's it needs to be fine-tuned to a different degree. It needs to be for a wider audience, like how do you tell a climbing story to someone who doesn't even know what climbing is? Like we were thinking about different things than I normally would if I'm just making like a, Oh, here's my buddy climbing in Spain or something, you know? So it was cool to kind of approach it from a more commercial look, I guess. Mm -hmm. So did you go to CU Boulder? Is that correct? I did. Yeah. And I, and I studied film, you studied film. So, yeah. you know, has that helped you out throughout all of this? Yeah. You know, it has, but we studied, it's not technically a film school. They have a film program, but I did, I did learn a lot about the film production side of things and also film theory and film history. And I think have become inspired by these films that I watched in school and, and learned about in school. And I think that I'm trying to draw from those and kind of bring that into the climbing world. So I, it helps me for sure. It's like, I'm, I'm really happy I went to school and, and took the time. I also took a lot of classes that weren't related to film, which, you know, I just think learning about different, different things is good. You know, just mm -hmm. like having knowledge is, is knowledge is power, you know, like. So climbers, photographers, videographers, or otherwise, who inspires you these days? Um, that's or what inspires you? Well, I definitely get inspired easily, I would say. And I think like like the amount of, of strong climbers these days is definitely, it's easy to find motivation in, in the climbing world, whether that's 
there's more people to go try hard stuff with or just there's you know it seems like every month something big happens in climbing or every other month there's like big news and that's that's easy for me to draw inspiration from and i guess in the climbing photography and videography world like it's really cool to see films like the dawn wall coming out and mm-hmm. uh films like the jimmy's honald film just seeing how climbing films are becoming so mainstream that gives me it gives me hope as a as like a wannabe climbing videographer mm-hmm. you know like i want i would love to be doing what they're doing someday mm-hmm. um and it's it's really cool to see a wider audience kind of latch on to our sport sure so in the media you know there's been a lot of controversy around the whole Joe Kinder and Sasha Dejillian episode. Um, I don't, you know, we don't need to go through all the details here, but it seems that as climbers as a whole, we could be doing a lot better. Um, pro climbers, non-pro climbers. What do you see in our community that we could all be working on? This is a great question. Um, I think you know, there's a lot of things that climbers could be working on pro or not. Like, I think obviously the most obvious one is just showing our respect for one another. And we're all climbing for the same reasons. And we're we're all passionate about our sport and we want our sport to have a healthy environment for, for newcomers to, to feel welcome to. And, and I think if, you know, if there's negativity online or offline, like that's gonna really hurt our sport as a whole and not just these individuals. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, just making sure that we as a community and individuals can kind of bring positivity, whether, you know, whether that's just stoke at the cliff or, or giving pain respect to our fellow climbers. Well, you know, like one thing that that I always kind of wonder is like, you know, how do we kind of promote diversity and celebrate mm-hmm. diversity? And it's, it's a hard thing to work through mm-hmm. because everyone is different and you just really, the, I think the most important thing is to be respectful, which is like what you were talking about as a pro climber yourself, you know, thousands of people are looking up to you, you know, new climbers, young climbers, you know, how do you take on social media and your public persona? And how do you make sure that you are a positive influence to others? Mm -hmm. That, yeah, it's, and it's tough. It's like, I think a lot of, once you kind of have a bigger audience and, and like, I'm aware that there are thousands of people that are going to read my posts or see something that I post. Um, I, I am cautious of, of making sure that, you know, I'm not offending anyone or I just want to, I want to bring positivity to what, what we're all doing. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, want to create, I don't, I don't necessarily think that I don't want to create controversy, but you do need to, to be a role model, you know, like to be a professional in any sport, you have to be a role model and you have to, you have to be aware that there are little kids looking up to you and, and anything that you do or say may be taken out of context or just, 
you know, you got to look at it from uh, from a different point of view than just your own. And I think often pro climbers, they're already living in a bubble. And I think it's easy to kind of get caught up in that and stuck in that bubble. Then, yeah. And you don't really look at like, you know, the the young girl or boy who is looking at, who's just starting climbing or maybe their parents who are considering getting them into climbing or whoever it may be, you know, mm-hmm. like it, you got to, you got to look at, take a step back sometimes and just kind of look at how you're being, how mm-hmm. you're, I don't know. <laughs> I'm losing my words. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting warm in here. Yeah. So let's imagine you're at like a climbing gym clinic. You're talking to a group of eight to 12 year old new climbers. What advice would you give to them? Okay. I think the best advice that I could give a new climber is that they need to push themselves and they need to, they need to get out of their comfort zone and they need to, you know, really find something that motivates them and that they can try hard on and just, and not focus so much on maybe the, the goal in the end and just Mm kind of more get used to the experience of trying hard and just putting yourself out there for failure whether that's on your hardest grade or something that you've done and and you know you can do like it doesn't matter the grade or the goal just get out of your comfort zone and and push yourself and i think if you do that you'll find a lot of joy in in the moments when you do push through and and you'll start to get you know you'll get hooked for the right reasons i think in that sense final question all right it's a big one all right what's one thing about you that most people don't know um one thing about me i think the first thing that comes to mind is that i i love to play tennis and interesting i've been playing i hurt my finger last year i i and i didn't climb for three months and i literally played tennis five or six days a week and now i'm completely hooked and i'll go play this afternoon (laughs) do you play singles doubles do you do it all i play mostly singles just because i don't know that many people that play tennis but uh (laughs) it's 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 fun it's like a good active uh recovery from climbing and just good to do something else every once in a while all Um, right well thank you so much maddie hong it's been a pleasure yeah thanks for having me Okay, that's the conclusion of the show. Hope you all enjoyed it. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, help us get the word out by telling a friend or leaving a rating and review. Theme music was provided by Small Houses at smallhouses.band. I want to thank Heather Widener and Maddie Hong for their time. From everyone at Climbing Magazine and myself, thanks for listening. See you at the next base camp.